question. Here's the quiz, okay? I'm going to ask, I want to know who these people are. So, okay, and I'm even going to help you out by telling you what their names are. This is Summer Rain Oaks. Summer Rain Oaks, anybody know who Summer Rain Oaks is? All right, we'll go on to the next one here. Eliza Blank. Anybody know who Eliza Blank is? Okay, you're drawing a blank, right? All right, that was a bad one. Okay, how about Daryl Chang? Nobody knows who these people are. Okay, let me give you some hints here, okay? Let's go back here to Summer Rain Oaks. She has 82,000 YouTube subscribers that follow her, but you're not one of them. Okay, uh, Eliza Blank has 250,000 Instagram followers. And Daryl Chang, he put a video online there that had over 2 million people watch it. And you guys still don't know who they are. These guys are pretty big names in their field, which is a little bit of a hint. But what is it that they have all in common? And who are these people? They are what we call plantfluencers. Has anybody heard this term? Plantfluencers? Well, here's the deal. Plantfluencers are leading an exploding phenomenon among millennials. And that is this. Millennials in record numbers are raising houseplants. That's right. In the last three years, U.S. sales of houseplants has surged 50%. It's now $1.7 billion of business a year. And about 80%, they're estimating, of the people who are buying these houseplants are millennials, 35 on down. And they buy all kinds of different plants. I thought some of these were fun. That's a snake plant. Uh, this next one is a fiddle leaf fig. That's pretty popular. This one is a Palea peperomite. I like that one. You like that one? Okay. This one is the Calithius. And here's my personal favorite, though, the Monstera deliciosa. So anybody have any of these plants in your house? Some of these are actually hard to buy because they're so popular now among this generation. The question I want to ask this morning is, why are people buying, or especially millennials, why are they buying houseplants? Several reasons. One of them is most of them, or many of them, live in apartments. And they don't actually have yards, so they're not growing grass, and they're not gardening. And so this is their uh, attempt to connect with nature, is through houseplants. Another reason is that millennials in general like to travel. Well, if you're gone for two weeks and come back to your houseplant, it's probably going to be fine. If you leave your dog alone for two weeks, it's not going to go so well. And so they say that's one of the reasons. They're relatively cheap. And you can buy a house plant for, well, you can buy one for probably about 10 bucks, depending on what you want to get. But here's an interesting reason why they're saying people are buying these two. It's because millennials are delaying marriage. They're getting married later and they're having kids later. And so, instead of having children, they are actually having house plants instead. And it's a new phenomenon that they're calling plant parenthood. And now we have plant moms who talk about their plant babies, and they even name these plants sometimes. And so, because I am now in the empty nest stage officially, Allie's out in California, and Lindsay's in Chicago, and Luke's in Grand Rapids, and Mandy's off at Penn State, and Sim lives with the Rouse now, and the dog passed this past winter. We are totally empty nesters, so I have decided to take the plunge and I am entering the plant parenthood uh, generation here. There's more. 
If you're going to have a family, you got to go big or go home, right? So let me introduce you to my plants here, all right? This is Sally, and this is Kinsey, and this is Duke, and then because they need a pet, and since the name's no longer taken, this is Max, all right? And so we have the plant family up here. But why are we talking about plants? Because at some level, we're actually attracted to them. This is interesting to me. They say that uh, plants can actually help us health-wise. They bring, uh, they they say spending time with plants lowers blood pressure. Can you can you just feel me chilling up here right now? It uh, reduces mental fatigue and it aids in concentration. They actually tell us that by looking at pictures of plants, you can reduce stress in your life. And so by the time you guys leave this morning, you're going to be feeling so mellow. It's going to be unbelievable, isn't it? But you know what plants do? Plants exude life. And we like people because they're alive and we like kids and, and, and animals and things like that. But even plants connect us with this passion that we have for life. And we can follow with them, we can nurture them, we can water, we can do all these things, but they're alive and they grow. And if you look at a plant, part of the fun of taking care of a plant, so they tell me, and I'm about to find out, right, is to check on its health and to check on its growth. Now, we do plants at our house too, but they're out in the backyard and they're in little garden boxes. But it's so fun to go out and check on the progress of the plant to see how they're growing and to see, you know, can we actually pick beans or, or tomatoes or cucumbers or whatever it is that we actually have to grow out there. But growth is something that attracts us. And so, growth is something that we lean into. And growth is something that I think, personally, we all desire. In fact, if I asked you this question this morning, would you like to grow in your life? The answer would be probably for uniformly, yes. I, I want to do better at this, or I want to improve in this area, or I, I want to change this, or I, I want to say goodbye and be done with this over here. I want to grow in my life somehow. But oftentimes when we start talking about growth, we get frustrated because we feel like we're stuck. And we look back and you're like, gosh, I'm still in the same place I was a year ago. And then we're like, well, I just got to try harder and do better. And I try harder and I do better. And it doesn't seem to work out that well. And we look at this and say, I don't even know how to grow. So this is just frustrating when we start talking about this. Well, hopefully as we dive into God's Word this morning, we can learn how we can grow in our lives. But before we do this, I want to ask you to do something, just for a moment here. I want you to identify an area in your life where you would like to grow, where you feel a little stuck right now, where you're a little bit frustrated, where you've been on the do-better-try-harder treadmill and it's not going so well. Maybe it's in the area of patience. You're just impatient and uh, it rubs off on everybody and spills onto other people around you. And maybe you would like to be more patient. Maybe it's just this area of worry where you worry about just about everything and you realize that you're supposed to be trusting God and that He's going to take care of but you find yourself there. Maybe it's just in your level of discernment in life. Maybe it's just in 
how uh, confident you are in following Christ. Maybe it's some habits you need to say goodbye to. Maybe it's just uh, something in the Bible that you've struggled with obeying. What is the area where you need to grow this morning? What is the area where you need to grow? And take a minute to identify that. If you want to write it down, that would be great. At least make a note of it. And then let me tell you something here, which may or may not be helpful to you. But let's start here. This point, we can't grow ourselves. So as you sit there this morning and say, I really want to change in this area. I really want to grow in this area. Then I come along and say, but you can't grow yourself. But you know that's true, right? Physically? Like if we could grow ourselves, I would not be 5'8". I'm just telling you. And you know what? These plants don't grow themselves either. Here's one of the keys to that. We need environments of growth. And environments matter. And environments matter for plants. What are, what are things that plants need to grow? What, what would be one thing that a plant needs to grow? Water, okay? What would be another thing a plant needs to grow? I heard light. Did somebody say light? Or did I just make that up? Soil would be another one. We need these environments to grow. And the same thing is true with us in our spiritual lives too. We need to put ourselves in the right environments. So let me just give you three environments here as we get started this morning where we need to plant ourselves or put ourselves. Actually, we're going to sing another song this morning. We're having a little trouble technically here. I've lost this. There we go. The supernatural would be the first one. Supernatural would be the Word of God working in our lives and the Holy Spirit working in our lives. And these two things come together to change us. And this is why I say we don't change ourselves, but we still have hope because the Holy Spirit working in conjunction with the Word of God changes us from the inside out. So the supernatural is the first thing. Second element, or excuse me, second environment that we need is the relational. And the relational is where we come together in community because we depend on each other to change. And we know that's true in life. If you want to go on a diet, it's always easier to go on a diet with somebody else, right? Or if you want to jump into an exercise program or you're going to run, get somebody to run with you. We even know that as we deal with some of like addictions, things like that, we'll put ourselves into support groups because relationships help us change. And that's especially true when it comes to the Christian community. And then there's a third element here, which is the volitional, and that's the simple desire or the want to. And while I say you may not be able to change or grow yourself, there needs to be a desire to grow, and that's going to actually come from God as well. But these three elements, or excuse me, these three things need to be part of the environment. And that's what's so cool about church. When we come together on a Sunday like this, the supernatural is what we're about, right? We're here to open up God's Word, hear from Him. We also have this relational aspect uh, as we gather together, and you could take it even from here as we do small groups and things like this. And then there's the volitional aspect. So this is pretty cool. We all come together on a Sunday because the environment is like perfect for growth. It's like we're sitting in a greenhouse. But that's not enough. And this is where I want to go this morning. It's not just the environment. There's also elements that are very important to our growth. And then we want to finish this morning by talking about the end game. Where is it that we're trying to get to? 
So we have environments. Let's take a look at elements here. And to do that, I want to invite you to turn with me to, uh, excuse me, Ephesians chapter 4. And what we're going to do this morning is we're going to visit four plant fluencers that we find in the Bible, or we're going to call them growth fluencers. And we're going to start with the Apostle Paul. We're going to get to Peter. Uh, Chris already read the passage we'll be looking at. And we'll also visit with James, and then we'll be checking in with one more person at the end. But we move from environments to elements, and we say, what are the things that God uses then to grow us? What are the things that God uses to grow us? So let's look in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 is where we're going to be starting. It says this, So Christ gave himself, excuse me, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. And that's the goal of growth, is maturity. And so anytime we read this in Scripture where it talks about maturity, we're looking at the end game of growth. And so when we see that, we want to lean in and pay attention because that's where we're trying to go and we're going to get a hint on how to get there. So he says, until we become mature, attaining to the whole measure and the fullness of Christ. Then, and so he contrasts here, instead of being mature, uh, um, contrast maturity, and he gives us an example of immaturity, he says, then we'll be no longer infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, now going back to maturity, We can speak the truth in love. We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head, that is Christ. From Him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And that last work talks about how we grow together as the body of Christ or as the church. Well, just a couple of quick Comments here. First of all, Christ gives us a variety of leaders, teachers, and mentors. That's one of the reasons why we come to church to hear teaching. But in today's world, you can hear it a lot of other places too, right? You can flip on the radio, you can go online, you can pick up a book. But God gives us, Christ gives us these people for the sake of helping us grow. And so we see the first element of growing is that God uses teachers or mentors in our story. And if you look back in your story, where you can see areas of where you've grown spiritually, this will probably be true. That somewhere there was teaching, or somewhere there was a teacher who was instrumental in your growing in your faith, in your growing in your life. Well, a second thing shows up here though too, And that is the idea of serving. He gives teachers and leaders for the sake of, and if you read that there back in verse 11 and 12, for the sake of service, which is interesting to me. That sometimes we're like, well, no, getting mature in Christ means that I need to learn more. And yet the teachers and the mentors are preparing us to serve more. So actually service in this chapter or in this passage comes before knowledge. And so serving becomes an important part of our growing in our faith. So if you want to grow, one of the ways that you can grow is you can dive in and serve in some way. 
And if you've ever done this, where sometimes you swallow hard and say, I don't know if I can do this, but you dive into a volunteer role or service role, whether formal or informal. Mark talked about that last week. But God uses that experience in your life to actually change you. So you go on a mission trip and you don't come back the same. Or you, you uh, dive into uh, leading a, a small group as part of, of a Bible study. And it changes you in the process. But serving is one of the elements that God uses to change us. And if you want to change, dive into serving here. But then it also tells us this, that we need to be in relationship and in community together. And we will grow. God uses this element of community and relationships to grow us. Have you ever had this experience where you have been in a small group, maybe with somebody else, and they're sharing their story or they're sharing their experience and it challenges you? Or maybe you're sitting there and you're sharing your story and they ask you a question? Sorry. Is that better? All right, there we go. I just realized that Francie couldn't see me because my family was in the way. And uh But if you've had that experience where in somebody, or maybe you sit in that group and, and there'll be a conversation between two people, and you're like leaning in, it's like, oh, that's exactly what I need to hear at this moment. And when we interact around the Bible, when we interact around the Scripture and what God's doing, we start to experience growth in those ways. And so God says, if you want to grow, environments matter, but these elements are going to be part of the process of that. So teachers, teaching, mentoring, uh, mentoring, serving, relationships, and community. Well, when we look at the next factor here, we need to jump over to the book of James. And he's going to be our next growth fluencer, if you want to call him that. And let's read what he has to say in James 1, verses 2 through 5. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. All right? End game of maturity here. How are we going to get there? What's the element that's going to take us there? Trials and adversity. Okay, should we just skip over that one? It doesn't sound that fun, does it? But one of the primary ways that God changes us and grows us is by putting us through difficulties. And I don't think any of us would sign up for that. It's not my favorite thing. And yet God uses these things in our lives, in our stories to change us. And we can broaden that out a little bit if you want to even say pivotal moments, uh, those, those things that happen in life that kind of catch our attention. Sometimes they can even be good, I suppose. But God uses the circumstances of our lives to grow us, to to get our attention to start with. But actually in going through these things, we grow and we change. And so a lot of times we come to stuff and something bad happens like, oh no. And God's like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I let that happen because I want to use this to grow you in your faith. It's interesting, and Steve talked about this earlier here, when we ask for wisdom, there's a verse that we like to, to quote a lot. And it's the next verse. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask of God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. The context of this verse is what? 
When you're going through adversity and you can't figure out what you're supposed to be getting out of this adversity, pray about it and ask that God give you the wisdom in this moment to learn what you need to learn from this situation. And so this is an element that's essential to our growth. As unpleasant as it may sound tonight, it's so necessary. And on the other side of that, when we get to the end game, it's so worth it. Now, when we're praying and ask for wisdom, that where do we go? It, it hints of another thing here, and this is the element of personal connection with God. And we grow through that relationship that we have with God, where we actually pray, or we actually sit down and, and read our Bible, or we actually stop and contemplate and think about what God's going on. Or maybe it's when you get out of journal. But we need those connection points, those moments that we actually spend with God. And then finally, there's one more thing here. And we're going to check in then with the next influencer or growth influencer. And that would be Peter. And this is the passage that Chris read earlier. But in 2 Peter 1.3, it says this, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him. And again, this is referring to this idea of a personal connection. So we need to prioritize this this personal connection because when we do this, we experience this divine power and it's that divine power that changes us. It's God working in me that changes me. It's not me trying to change. But we keep reading here, okay? This divine power gives us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has given us very great and precious promises so that through them we may participate in the divine nature. Having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. And then he goes on and says this, for this very reason, are you ready for it? Make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love. After I just said, you can't do anything to grow yourself, and after Peter just says, it's God working in you, he then goes ahead and says what? Now, make every effort. They're like, wait a minute, which is it? Is it God or is it you? The answer is Yes. Because the idea is that God changes us as we commit to a partnership with Him. Where we finally come to the place that says, okay God, I need some attention in this area of my life. Okay God, I need to grow here, so I'm going to go to work on this. Realizing I can't do it better by myself, but if you'll come alongside me, and if your Spirit will work in me, and if you'll use these various elements here, I can start to experience change in my life. And so that brings us to the sixth element, which is what I would call focused cooperation. When we started today, I asked you to write down just an area or make a mental note of an area where you would really like to grow, where you would really like to see some change in your life. That's really important because now you can take that and come to God and say, God, this is the area. Now, I want to be changed in this area. So I'm going to commit to to teaching and learning. I'm going to commit to serving. I'm going to commit to relationships where I can actually be transparent and share these things with people. I'm, I'm going to embrace the life moments, even if it's adversity. 
And I'm going to, to commit to spending time to study, to, to learning what the, the Word has to say about this. And I want to do this with you. So these elements, so you take environment, the Holy Spirit in, in Scripture, which is the supernatural, and the relational, and the volitional, you take that and you add these elements, and that gets us then to our end game. And actually, our end game is what Peter is talking about as the main thrust of this passage here in 2 Peter 1. And the end game, let me just tell you what it's not, all right? The end game is not, well, the end game is, okay? The end game is maturity. We already identified that, right? But what is maturity? Maturity is not commitment. There's a lot of people who say, well, you know, commitment is you come to church, you make it there every single Sunday, and that's great. And, and you get involved in serving, and that's great. And, and you, you are committed to everything that you're supposed to do. You do all those things, and you're like, if I'm just committed, that means that I'm mature. Or maturity is knowledge. So I'm just going to learn as much as I can and study as much as I can so I can fill my head with knowledge and then I will be mature. Or maturity is longevity. I just have to stick with it for a long time. You know, just keep going to church and someday uh, I'll finally be mature because I've been coming long enough and it's a longevity thing. Sometimes we say that maturity is knowing the lingo. So I can have the spiritual conversations and I know the talk and I know exactly what to say and when to throw out the right word. In fact, I can even, you know, the way I carry myself with that. And maturity is that. Or we say that sometimes maturity is, you know, this righteous lifestyle where I know all the right things to do and I have my checklist and I just do all these things. And we like to define maturity by these things and a lot of times in churches by what I know, or by how committed I am, or by how I talk, or by all of the right things that I do. The problem with that list, I just described the Pharisees. So that must not be what maturity is. It has to be something else. And Peter hints at one thing here, and let me mention a couple others as we finish up here this morning. The first thing that maturity is, is virtues. Virtues. It's not what I do, it's who I am. And we need to switch gears and think in that direction. So he goes through and gives us a whole list of things that I can be versus things that I do. So I can be kind. I can be loving. I can be good. I can be godly. And so it's virtues. The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness. And we can add to this list in other parts of Scripture and add humility and add integrity and add purity. These are character traits. These are virtues. And if we're going to become mature, we need to look at that as the end game. Virtues. Not what I do, but who I am. Am. And that's far more important. That's when Christ is actually formed in us. Because we are more than what we do. The second thing, end game, would be values. This is what's in most important in my life. Or this is my priorities. This is what I put first. This is when I have a choice to make. What choice do I make? Is it a choice that satisfies me? 
Or is it a choice where I first and foremost say, what does God want in this situation? And when I get to maturity, I'm getting to this place where when I make choices, the choices that I make reflect the value of seeking God first. Matthew 6.33, seek Him first. And how do we seek God first? It's in the choices that we make. I seek God first in my career choices. I seek God first in my entertainment choices. I seek God first in my investment choices. I seek God first in my relationships, in my family, in my schoolwork, in my friendships, in my pursuits and ambitions, in my time usage. I seek God first. And when I have a decision to make, I don't say, well, what do I want here? Or what do I think here? It's what does God want here? And we go in that direction. And that's what maturity looks like when we start aligning our values with God's first. And I am somewhere down that list. A third area here, as we talk about the end game, would be viewpoints. Or you could say thinking here if you'd like. And this is where I actually think with wisdom, with discernment, where I'm able to sort out what's true and what's not, where I care about and and pursue and prioritize what's true. This is something that I think we really have to work on in in the church right now and in our world. There's so much messaging and you can't avoid it. And and after you've heard something like for the 10,000th time, you're like, okay, I just believe it. It doesn't make it true. And maturity is when we can actually get to these messages and say, wait a minute, is that true or is that false? And have enough spiritual insight to be able to dig that out. I know Pastor Mark's teaching a class right now on Sunday mornings on, on worldviews. It's that whole idea. How do, what is the lens that I see the world through? And maturity is where we actually get to that place where we have discernment and wisdom and where we can look at something and go, wait, that's true or that's false? And here's why, based on biblical principle here. And then there's one last thing here too, and that's what I would call trust. Maturity is when we get to the place where we just trust. Maturity for Abraham was when he got to the place where he said, take your son Isaac and sacrifice him, where he said, all right, I'll just trust you. That's when he got to that place. But trust is hard, isn't it? Especially when you're looking at a situation in which you know you should do doesn't look like the fun thing to do. The right thing is usually the hard thing. You've noticed that, right? But when we get to maturity, it's like, okay, God, I just trust you. This isn't what I pick, or this isn't necessarily what I prefer, or this is where I don't even like to go. But I'm just going to lean back and trust. I'm just going to do what the Word says for me to do here because I know that you will eventually come through. It may be painful, but I am just going to trust you in this moment. And so we have this environments that are important. We have these Elements that are important. But here's the end game. And this is where I really want us to focus as we finish this morning. What are the, where are these things showing up in your life? Where are the Ella, or the, the, these, these maturity points or these, these evidences of maturity of virtues and values and thinking and trust? 
Jesus said this, and he's our last plant fluencer, growth fluencer. He said this, John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so it all comes back to this relationship. And there's no magic formula. And there's nothing that I've said this morning that said, if you do this and this and this, this will happen over here. It all comes back to you having that relationship with God where you say, okay, I'm going to put myself in this environment. I'm going to expose myself to these elements and I'm going to trust you to somehow bring out these evidences, this end game that we're pursuing. We're talking in this series about together. What would it look like in our church if we all got together on this? Where we came together and one of the reasons that we came together is because we wanted to encourage the growth of another person. How many of us came in the door this morning saying, I hope I get a chance to encourage somebody else in his faith? Because that's really what we should be doing, right? But that's going to happen when we come together in a different way. It's when we all become passionate about growing and changing and becoming who God wants us to be. Because as each of us gets passionate about that pursuit, it's just going to rub off on everybody else. And let's be a church where we all come in on Sunday morning because we want to grow. And as we come in with that commitment to grow, it's going to rub off on everybody else around us. Let's be a church that grows. Let's do this together. 